When you think about Greek life, Christian faith might be the absolute last thing that comes to mind. But we not only believe that it's possible to be Greek and Christian, but also that it's the best way to experience Greek life and grow your faith. We have real, honest conversations about how to approach Greek life from a Christian perspective, including things like recruiting and pledging, drinking and drugs, sex and dating, leadership and philanthropy, and much more. This podcast is by Greeks and for Greeks. Our hosts and guests are all members of fraternities and sororities who collectively have decades worth of experience living out their faith in Greek life. Welcome to the Greek and Christian podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. We are in a series discussing pledging. So whether you are in uh, IFC and call it pledge season or Panhellenic uh, sorority and call it the new member process, or you're in a national Panhellenic uh, council uh, or MGC organization and call it crossing, we are discussing the questions of where is God in pledging and how should we approach it as Christians and followers of Jesus? We're uh, also approaching the topic and through a couple of different angles. The first of which is through the new member or pledge or neophyte, you know, as a person going through the process, how do you navigate this uh, in a way that honors your faith? And then from the other side, we're approaching it as an active member, uh, because obviously the process is very different uh, for those two people. In our previous two episodes, we gave an overarching framework of how to approach pledging, you know, as a follower of Jesus. Uh, for the rest of the series, we'll be discussing specific things that come up during pledging, like things like hazing, uh, drinking culture, hookup culture, and more. And today, we are going to start with hazing. That's right. I mean, why not tackle the hottest topic in <laughs> pledging? Maybe the most controversial topic, hazing. Yes. I'm just you know, starting with guns blazing. <laughs> Coming out strong, yes. I know. Um, and, you know, I've enjoyed the series so far. Uh, I hope if you're just joining us, you'll go back and listen uh, to the first episode in the pledging series where John and I kind of give an, a good overview of how to approach your pledging or crossing over experience uh, from a Christian perspective. Um, but hazing, yeah, I mean, I would say it's one of those things where you, uh, if you associate Greek life, with the media unfortunately you do get a lot of stories about hazing i mean you know there's cases that are ongoing right now um, that i'm kind of keeping up to date on about you know fraternity men who are facing charges uh, for hazing in their greek organizations so it's a real topic um, but we want to address it in a real and honest authentic way so you know it's heavy but j mac and i i'm your big sis he's your big bro and we're going to take care of you through it. I'm sure there will be some laughter, funny stories. Um, and, you know, we're going to make sure that you're taken care of. And, oh, my gosh, we've got another honorary big bro today to help us in this conversation. JMac, it's not just on you and I to tackle hazing. That is right. I think we'd be woefully inadequate. So we had to bring in the big guns. Yes. We, another... We've outsourced the hard topics is uh, what we've done. <laughs> Just that's, that's right. Pass that awkward bomb. Uh, we're going to talk about hazing. Hey, That's welcome, right. I'll, I'll talk about the fun on bid day, you know, <laughs> yeah. hazing. Uh, that's right. That's awesome. Right. So, hey, J-Mac, you want to introduce our guest? Yes. I get to introduce a friend and guest in Christopher Brinton. Uh, so I met Christopher when I was leading a chapter of Greek University at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, where he was a Sigma Nu. 
A the brother. There Your you brother. go. Even brothers. Brothers across chapter. I went to Clemson. He went to NC State. So, you know, Wolfpack, Tigers, what you Love may. It. But, uh, yes, uh, since graduation, Christopher has been working for Sigma Nu nationally. Uh, so he understands Greek life from both the angle of the local chapter and the national organization. And since then, he has served on Sigma News uh, national team as a leadership consultant. He's overseeing leadership development, and he now serves as the director of chapter services. So, Christopher, great to have you on the podcast to talk about this fun topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I will say I'm a little bit nervous about being described as the big guns. We'll see how uh, this goes. Um, hopefully, you know, what we're going to talk about is going to be insightful and helpful uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see how the conversation goes. It's, it's yeah. obviously, as you mentioned, a really heavy topic. Um, but I think one that I'm always excited to talk about. And I think, mm-hmm. um, a Christian perspective is actually a really helpful framework for engaging in this conversation because so much of what we're going to talk about today, I think is human. And mm-hmm. we talk about, you know, the, the human aspect to sin and how, you know, it just is really important that we actually grapple with, you know, just sin and its relationship with our with our humanity. And I think hazing goes right alongside that. So yeah. uh, I'm excited to be able to talk about that with you. That's a really good word, Christopher. So I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, I'm excited to hear uh, from you as well as you speak about this. And, you know, if you've been around the Greek and Christian podcast, you know that we don't shy away from hard topics, or at least that our heart is that we engage with hard topics head on. And so that's why I'm excited for today. Um, But hey, since we are talking about the pledging, new member process, crossing over, I'd love to hear from you, taking it back to your college days in Sigma Nu. Do you have like a fun story or favorite memory of yours when you were pledging Sigma Nu at North Carolina State? So as most probably men uh, who are joining fraternity uh, can likely attest to, um, I was one of, um, or as a student who was very much attracted to the brotherhood aspect of fraternity. And, Mm. uh, for me, a lot of that came from high school athletics. Uh, I was involved in, uh, athletics all the way from middle school up to high school and had played, um, some sort of, some sort of organized sports even before middle school. Um, and, but, or sorry, sorry, I should say, but I, I did grow up like in the middle of nowhere, North Carolina. Um, so very rural part of the state. Mm. Um, and so my highlight of the day was getting to spend time with my teammates uh, at soccer practice or on the cross country team. And then I would kind of slip away into isolation, you know, as I returned home for the evening um, because I didn't really live around anybody. And so the idea of going to college and getting to meet a group of men who you know, the sales pitch was that they would be the men standing beside me at my wedding and right. would be there for, you know, the, the moments of celebration as well as the moments of hardship. Like that was incredibly attractive. Um, neither of my parents were Greek, but I did have a brother-in-law um, who joined SAE at Davidson College. And I remember him telling stories of his fraternity experience. And so I knew from the jump that that was something that was really exciting and attractive to me. And so going into college, I knew fully well that I was really interested in that experience or at least seeing what it had to offer. Mm -hmm. So that might be what's relatable to some of your, your listeners. 
what is probably unrelatable is that I actually joined a, a colony experience or a oh, cool. provisional chapter. Um, some of the language varies from organization to organization. Um, but for Sigma Nu at NC State, we d- the chapter did not exist prior to me getting mm-hmm. to campus. Uh, I d- knew nothing about the rushing process or going through formal recruitment. Um, at the time, NC State had a rushing process. Now it has formal recruitment. Um, I just knew that I got contacted by, uh, I think, the Interfraternity Council prior to coming to NC State. Uh, asking if I was interested in going through Rush, I signed out the or signed the application or the the registration process saying that I was. Never heard anything. Uh, got to campus, still didn't hear anything. Thought that I had just missed Rush, uh, and then randomly one day got a, an an email from the project manager who was supervising the colonization um, or the the new chapter experience for Sigma Nu uh, at NC State. And at that point, I was really down on my dump, or down on the dumps. I, you know, it was just like I've missed the process. Obviously, no one wanted me, <laughs> and so I was convinced that you know this just was not in the cards for me. And so this project manager reached out and said, "Hey, I'm starting a new uh, fraternity on campus. I saw that you had filled out the card uh, through the interfraternity council to uh, to join or to go through the uh, the fraternity experience. Would you be interested in meeting with me to talk about the creation of this new fraternity on campus?" So I was like, "Well, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if, if fraternity is for me anymore. Uh, but sure, I'll 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 entertain the conversation." Went to the That's conversation awesome. or had or went to the meeting had a had a great conversation with uh, the project manager for for that. Uh, experience and fell in love. I was just like this, everything that he's talking about is exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, Give me the bid now. I will sign it. I'm all in. Uh, Found out two weeks later that Rush had not even started yet. And in typical (laughs) male fashion, uh, he got you (laughs) over the summer the guy, you know, it would be high expectation, I think, for a lot of the fraternities to be, you know, pr- uh, uh, proactive you know, and making <laughs> sure that they're soliciting all prospective students who might be interested. Uh, I know that now, but at the time, you know, it was just this downtrodden, right. like, student who just thought he missed the opportunity only to come find out that, you know, I was just ahead of game- the game a little bit. Um, <laughs> but ended up joining Sigma Nu at NC State through a, a, a new colonization, which... Um, Again, is not the typical experience, but has given me a lot of perspective on, you know, that side of things as well as now being on staff. I, I do at least have the ability to understand um, or speak to the the normal experience I think most uh, men and women have when they go through the process. So I can talk about that too. But uh, my my route or sorry my pathway to getting to this point was maybe a little bit different than most. Well, I think that's really cool. I mean, I got to go to an installation of a fraternity that had expanded on my campus when I was a collegian. Um, and then as an alum, um, I had some students I worked with in Greek IV who were also part of, you know, a colony that then eventually got to be installed into, you know, an active chapter. And so it's a really neat experience. You know, you get to kind of make the fraternity your own. Um, which I find really admirable. Well, I'd love to hear you work for Sigma Nu now. So, you know, you I, I like to use the term, you drank the Kool-Aid. I say that, they say that in Pi-Fi all the time. Oh, you drank the Pi-Fi Kool-Aid. And so <clears throat> you drank the Sigma Nu Kool-Aid, you work for Sigma Nu now. 
Um, so I'd love to hear what led you to work for Sigma Nu headquarters and, and what, what work do you do for Sigma Nu? Yeah, well, I should say I drank a lot of the Kool-Aid. Uh, I'm still <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. I yes. still work for the fraternity. Um, I, this is my the start of my tenth year uh, oh on my staff. Gosh. That's great. So uh, my you know next year will I guess be my decade anniversary. Um, but at the undergraduate level, I college was a really weird experience for me. I, I changed my major three times. I was just very undecided in, in what I wanted to do, but I knew that fraternity just made sense. I was very involved at the officer level. I held several different positions. Um, actually, uh, because I joined a colonization experience, I got to be an officer as a first semester freshman. Uh, so that's not uh, nice. an experience that a lot of uh, individuals get, but went immediately into leadership, loved it, and knew that it just made sense to me uh, in ways that you know my uh, business accounting classes did not. Uh, or you know, I, I joke with some people that I got the, to the end of my college experience and I. Uh, majored in business administration with a concentration in marketing. And I just had this like existential crisis of like, I don't know how to do taxes. Like, how am I supposed to be in business? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, how am I supposed to help anybody else out with this kind of stuff? And so I just really kind of fell in love with the idea of continuing to work for the fraternity. I thought it was a really great opportunity for me to figure out what it was that I wanted to do while also doing something that I was passionate about. I also had the, the fortune because of going through that uh, unique experience of meeting so many different staff um, and had a very close relationship with a lot of men on our, our headquarters team, including the, the project manager who oversaw our uh, expansion onto campus. Um, and he um, basically was kind of on a trajectory for a similar career path to what I thought that I was interested in when I was in college. Uh, so he was also a marketing major and at his undergrad. And then when he left uh, the fraternity after working for it for two years, he went on to work for a marketing agency. And so for, uh, kind of living through him vicariously, it was very easy to see kind of a path forward of how my undergraduate experience could tie into a fraternity experience at the national level and then lead to maybe a career doing what I thought that I wanted to do at the time. Mm. Now, I've since deviated from that path, but having those connections with staff, it made a lot of sense to me. And I will say, if anyone is listening and you have even the slightest interest in um, working for your national organization, maybe you had a really great conversation with a, a consultant who visited your chapter, um, or you just are feeling really blessed by the experience you've received thus far and, and want to kind of pay it forward and serve your national organization, I strongly encourage you to pursue it. Um, being a consultant was a life-changing opportunity and experience just to travel all over the country. Um, and I also feel like it was one of the experiences I think I, where I grew the most and could see a very tangible um, change in my confidence and my ability to just communicate interpersonally with others. Uh, so I really strongly endorse the experience and obviously I'm a little bit of a homer, uh, I, you know, as someone who's uh, continuing to work for the organization, but, uh, I, I really have a strong opinion of it and, and what it can give you that could translate to either continuing to work for your national organization or translating that skill into something else. Mm. Well, that's awesome, man. Uh, it seems, Hey, Sigma Nu got you on both ends as a freshman and as a new graduate. They just kept, they never stopped recruiting you. I'm easily baited. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 
Um, so then turning the topic to the topic at hand, hazing, uh, you know, um, we, as Allison said, you often hear hazing associated a lot with Greek life. That's what gets a lot of the headlines in the press and the public media and everything. But do you have a, a working definition of hazing? Do national organization, Greek organizations have a working definition of what hazing is? Uh, just to kind of set the tone of what are we really talking about here? So I had the fortune of obviously you preparing me in advance for this conversation. So I've actually brought two. Okay. Um, and well, I we're not supposed to tell our audience that. <laughs> it's just all off the cuff. That's all right. Just pull back the curtain. <laughs> well, you did say kidding. that I was the big gun, so I guess I'm expected right. to bring that to the table. That, okay, okay. Um, Sounds good. <laughs> but I did think it would be helpful just – I'm going to actually read off uh, yeah. Sigma News formal definition for hazing. I'm going to poke at it a little bit because I actually want to illustrate, I think, a point of sometimes this language feels really impractical. And so I want to give a formal definition – but then also a kind of a, a practical definition or at least a practical framework through, through which how I view uh, hazing, because I think that'll be more helpful to uh, those who are listening to this and are thinking about, well, this seems so uh, litigious, like, yeah. you know, how, you know, this, why aren't scavenger hunts allowed? Like, n- this doesn't seem nefarious, sure. yeah. um, but my national organization says that they're not allowed. Um, I don't get that. Like, or everything that we do feels like hazing. How can we do anything? So I want to provide, I think, that practical framework because I think that'll help deconstruct a little bit of of where there are problems um, and why some of the activities that we choose are problematic and also kind of maybe how you can move forward with something that's a little bit more instructive and helpful for your organization. So here is Sigmund's formal definition. Uh, It states... Any action taken or situation created intentionally, whether on or off fraternity premises, to produce mental or uh, physical discomfort, embarrassment, harassment, or ridicule, such activities may include but are not limited to the following, paddling in any form, creation of excessive fatigue, physical and psychological shocks, quests, treasure hunts, scavenger hunts, road trips, lineups, or any other such activities carried on outside or inside the confines of the chapter house, wearing publicly apparel that is which is conspicuous and not normally in good taste, engaging in public stunts and buffoonery, morally degrading or humiliating games and activities, late work sessions which interfere, interfere with scholastic activities, and any other activities which are not consistent with fraternal law, ritual, or policy, or the regulations and policies of the educational institution. <laughs> um, buffoonery. That uh, was my favorite word. You had me at buffoonery. I was Absolutely. Like, I, I think I missed the rest of the definition. It was just like, man, there's a lot of buffoonery going on. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously that's a mouthful. And there's, yeah. you know, there's a lots of specific examples that are included in that definition, which are helpful. Um, if you're trying to create a list of what can you not do or what can you do, it's helpful maybe sometimes for there to be an example but then I think that uh, the casual reader of that policy might also look at that and say, well, you know, I did a scavenger hunt for my youth group. And right. why is that a bad thing? Or, um, you know, we, you know, did a road trip, you know, as a candidate class, you know, up to a really famous or important historical marker for our organization. Like, why would that not be allowed? Um so I think that sometimes the policy can be helpful, but in other ways it can be really, um, 
I think, harmful in, in us creating a list of what to do and what not mm. to do. And it, there's actually a lot of nuance there. Um, and so I'll, I'll give a, a, a more practical definition. Um, and so the, the way that I tend to look at hazing is through four, um, four items. So time, place, manner, and then intention. So the first three, time, place, and manner, it's taking a look critically at like, how are you actually constructing the activities that you are setting up for your new members? So for example, pretty much anything that you do in the fraternity house basement that hasn't been cleaned, you know, in probably two years, and there's a flickering light that should have been replaced like two months ago, but never was at 2 a.m. in the morning, like that's probably going to create an environment where you know, a new member who's been led down there is probably going to be stressed out. They're probably going to be maybe a little bit sleep fatigued because it's late, late in the evening um, slash early in the morning. Um, And so nothing you do in that space is probably going to really be conducive to an instructional experience. Uh, And a, a candidate test, you know, on the fraternity's history in that location is going to feel and probably be a lot different than if you were to have that same test on the fraternity's history at 4 p.m. in a reserved classroom on campus. Yeah. Um, so time, place, and manner is so important. Um, and you will see that actually in the formal definition. We talk, there's the the talk there about like late work sessions, which interfere with scholastic, scholastic activities. You know, there's an idea of like, you know, there is a, a reasonableness to when things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're keeping your members up late at night, you know, if you're preventing them for, from achieving like their intended purpose of attending the institution, like all of those things are, are working against that person or detracting from uh, what they are in school to do in the first place. And so likely it's not a positive or constructive activity. And that leads into the, the fourth point, which is intention. I think this is the one that members struggle with the most is especially with traditions. It's just something that you've always done, but there's never a deconstruction of like, well, why do we do that? Or what's the intended purpose? Um, And often I think if you go and look at traditions that maybe an outside observer would uh, classify as hazing, they're probably not necessarily constructive to the development of that new member. And maybe they're actually, if you're willing to be honest with yourself, a lot more about providing you with personal entertainment than they are about, uh, you know, bringing those new members together or helping them to build affinity for your chapter or, you know, helping them to understand what it is like to be a member of that that chapter and to contribute positively to your chapter experience. Um, An example of this. So I deal with this quite a bit. Uh, chapter house chores. So I will have conversations with a lot of chapters that have some sort of chore activity. And this is also where I get a lot of pushback. I'm like, well, we've got to teach our new members to take care of the property. I think that's completely rational. I don't have anything against that idea. But normally I will ask the question of, you know, well, talk, talk to me about what your new members are expected to do. And they'll give me a list of, of various chores that are expected to be done around the house. And then I'll ask, all right, well, talk to me about what other, your older members are expected to do. It's usually, well, <laughs> nothing. Like, okay, great. <laughs> now uh, talk to me about what, or sorry, who is contributing the largest amount of mess 
to the chapter house and they'll usually say it's the seniors or the older members. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. Now connect the dots for me on at what point it becomes acceptable to no longer care about the house. Because what you're telling me is that this idea that you're instilling this sense of respect and duty and purpose through your new member experience and this these house chores to taking care of your property becomes uh, non-important or, or not as uh, essential to the member experience once they become initiated. Because if it was truly internalized as something that was important to that individual member or something that they felt was a, a duty or a responsibility, that they would carry that through the remainder of their time in the undergraduate chapter. But they're not. So instead, what you've done is you've created an environment where it's it, you're not waiting for the day that you have assumed this responsibility to care for the property. You've created an environment where you are waiting to the day that you are initiated so that the chores mm -hmm. are no longer your responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and so if chores or taking care of the house was truly important, I might put forward that a better tradition would be for your sophomores, juniors, and seniors to be the only ones actually responsible for taking care of the property. And that, you know, that's kind of a radical idea of like, well, what do you mean we can't ask our new members to take care of the property? It's like, well, because here's what you're going to do. You're going to ha like have open conversation from the older members to the new members that this is a gift that we give you with the expectation that you give it to those who come after you. Uh, and that we see this as something that we are responsible for and we want to be good stewards of. But we also take this um, very seriously. And mm. so we are, you know, expecting you to demonstrate during the new member process that once you are, once you receive this responsibility, that you will care for it too. And that's a part of the new member process. Um, but it's, this is not you are not to serve us during this experience. We're to serve you during this experience. Uh, and so you don't have this expectation, but when you are initiated, it will become your expectation, it will become your responsibility. Hmm. And that flipping of that expectation, that, that, that change, I think creates then a tradition that's easier to carry on, that's more sustainable, that would probably actually create the intention that often our members have when they design those house tours um, but it is ingrained in our mind of like, well, we have to teach them when they come to the chapter. It's like, well, yes, but what you are wanting is not what you are achieving. Mm. Um, and instead, you're butting up with the human desire to not do chores. <laughs> and that human desire is what's winning out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a really good word. And that kind of goes back to, you know, John and I recorded a two-parter about, you know, connecting your faith with the pledging experience, and especially for those who are active members or initiated members, it's flipping the script. You even use that language of not how can they serve me, but how can I serve them? Um, and that is, you know, the way that Jesus models to us. You know, if you are identifying as a Christian in your fraternity, that's, you know, we talk about this too. We're following a person, not a principle. Um, and Jesus was a person who served um, first. Um, and so I love that image. Well, I have a question for you, Chris, and this is for our, you know, potential new members or people who are actually in the pledging process right now. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people who are pledging fraternities or are thinking about it, they are nervous about hazing. And I think that's a valid thing to be concerned about. Um, and so do you have, you know, any advice for people who, when they're pledging a fraternity or a sorority, 
and they get into a situation where it is hazing, right? Or it's even a situation where it feels a little blurry, but an older member of the chapter is asking you to do something that you feel really uncomfortable with, or, you know, even directly violates, you know, the way that you are, you want to express your relationship with Christ, whether in, you know, behaviors that they want you to perform. Um, What advice do you have for new members or pledges when they find themselves in that kind of situation? Yeah. So one thing, just to kind of start off, I want to say to anyone who's in this position, I'm sorry, you know, that you are, are here. Um, And I recognize too, like the, how challenging it can be to be in this position where you feel this conflict between, especially your, your, your faith um, and maybe what you're being asked to do, or just the social pressure of, I don't feel right about this, but my the future, my future friendships are on the line. If I say something or if I do something like that is a a tremendous internal conflict that I don't envy. Um, And I had the pleasure and benefit of not having to experience because of the unique nature of my, my -hmm. experience. But I've been on the other side, having so many conversations with um, young men who've joined our organization who have been in that situation or, um, you know, our chapters who, you know, had to be closed because members didn't stand up to, to end that process. Um, but what I also want to do is I want to extend grace to both sides too. Mm. You know, so if members, um, new members do not feel like there's anything that they can do, I want to extend grace to them first and foremost, that there's social pressure that is working against them almost at every level. You know, the desire, the social desire to belong, uh, to be a part of that organization is incredibly strong. Um, and you often hear people who will say, I, um, if I was hazed like that, you know, if, after observing something, I would have walked away. It's like, well, we have countless study after study after study that shows that that's not actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, that a lot of people in that environment, um, one, they rationalize their experience, like they don't they do not have the capacity to see what they just experienced or to see what they're about to experience as bad as maybe a casual observer might think that it would be. Um, You know, there's a cognitive distance there of like, well, I would never allow myself to be hurt or to be harmed or to be made fun of. So if I was those things, I'm going to either embellish the positive aspects of it, or I'm going to um, kind of, uh, uh, weaken the yeah. uh, the harm that I, I felt or that I'm going to allow myself to have felt about that. Um, that is huge. That is human. Um, and I want to underline that in particular. So I, I want to extend grace to those who are going through that experience. Um, but also I want to extend grace to the other side too of uh, hazing is often perpetuated. Mm. Um, there's a, also a sense of or a phenomenon that we often look at at our level, which is hazing creep. Uh, that hazers often intensify the hazing um, that they experienced for Mm. the group that comes after them. And some of it's not necessarily intentional, but there is like a sense of like hurt people, hurt people. Um, There's also a sense of, I think, again, like you desensitize yourself to what you experience. Um, And so you tend to rationalize what you went through as not that bad. And so when you then go forward to design a hazing activity for the next person, you are un, you are um, out of calibration. You know, you are more likely maybe to uh, put them through something that was worse than what you experienced because you've deafened yourself to 
what you actually went mm. through and, and how bad it was. Um, that's not to excuse or to, um, you know, victim blame in this situation. Yeah, I think that certainly we all have a responsibility to uh, be honest with ourselves and to hold ourselves accountable. But it's also to say, like, there is a lot of, like, humanness uh, and yeah. sin that's in this experience that like, is really, really difficult to overcome. Uh, and those social pressures alone, I think, are really challenging. Um, but on the other side, what I would, the advice that I would give to new members, one, I think that, and I don't know that this is 100% true, but this is just a gut feeling that I have, that a lot of times I think that new members can really break the illusion for older members by just being honest. Yeah. I think that um, a lot of older members just, again, they don't see themselves as the villain in their own story. Um, and they don't believe that they have the capacity to harm. And so when they're designing these activities or when they're asking you to do things that you're uncomfortable with, like until you are honest with your truth and what you need, and of course, probably what you need is universal to be honest. Um, right. But, you're not the only one. Yeah. Right. I don't think that without that conflict that some members can bring themselves to, um, the self-awareness needed to be like, oh, I need to, I need to take two steps back or like we're crossing the line here. I think just so much, like if you have the ability to be honest with the um, new member educators or the chapter brothers who are, or chapter members uh, for our um, uh, sorority uh, listeners um, who are, you know, putting members through this experience, that honesty can be really helpful in kind of deconstructing the activities that you're going through and maybe helping to think that this isn't, this is not an acceptable activity. Yeah, yeah. I think from my sorority experience, I was in a situation where in the time I'm like, oh, that's not hazing. But looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, that was hazing. <laughs> and uh, but and I, we talked about this in the last episode, but one of the traditions that my sorority participated in was serenades. And, you know, what started out as a really nice tradition founding that was founded part of my organization singing songs across campus you know really slid into this you know just you get drunk so that you have the liquid courage to dance up on fraternity men and sing raunchy songs and um i knew for me there were like multiple layers of that that just were not going to fly with the person of jesus that i was trying to follow with my life and you know some of that has to do with family history and relationship with alcohol um, and then also, as you had mentioned, Christopher, you know, my sexual ethic. And I was terrified to talk to my new member educator about it, even though she had said, like, you don't have to participate in this if you don't want to. I was terrified. And I sat down and I wrote out exactly what I was going to say because I knew I had to say no. And but I just like I said, I was scared. Um, and so, you know, I called her up and like I read read my little thing. She's like, oh yeah, no problem. That's fine. You don't have to participate. Like, you know, she followed through on what she said. Like, you really don't have to do this. And I, I think that's one of the thing too, is the fear of saying no to some of these things can be so great that when you actually do it, you know, you do find that even though this is a practice that shouldn't really be happening in your Greek organization, the members who are part of it or, you know, they, they want to hear what you have to say. Um, and so I was surprised by that. I mean, I don't want to downplay consequences, social consequences that people receive for saying no to things they don't want to do. But in my case, 
it was not the severe reaction that I thought it was going to be. Like in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, like my sisters are going to think I'm a prude. They're never going to respect me. It's going to ruin my relationships the whole time I'm in college. And that was just not the case. And, you know, some of that is my chapter's responsibility of how they care for their new members. But part of that was a learning curve for me of like, okay, I can, I do have the autonomy, um, you know, to speak up and I do have some amount of power in this situation. Um, yeah, and I'll say too, like the the power differential is is tough, yeah. you know, because as a new member, you just don't have that that same um, power. There's there's something that you want, and there's something that is, and that thing is being held away from you. And so you are in this negotiation of like, what am I willing right. to give up to get that thing? Mm-hmm. Um, but something that's also that often goes untalked about too is the social pressure that you give from your peers or that you get from your peers as well. Of like, well, if I'm the Christian who stood up and said I don't want to do this thing but then everybody else is expected to do it because they didn't identify as Christian or they didn't say that this went against their religious belief. Now do they have, like now are they like resentful of me for Mm -hmm. using my religious get out of joke free card. And so this is, this kind of goes, I think to the other side of how Christians who are active members can actively impact this experience as well. Yeah. Are you, are you having open conversations with your chapter about how the activities that you ask your members to do might put them in a compromising position mm. spiritually? Um, but then more importantly, are you putting them in a position where like now their peers are resentful of them because, you know, they had a religious objection and were able to get out of it. Um, but you put everybody else through it, you know, have you actually sat down and thought through like universally, like, mm. is this constructive? If we are allowing mm-hmm. this one person to get out of it, um, have we thought about maybe this was never a good activity to begin with um, yeah. because it wasn't something that was universally constructive for all of our members? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I throw that out there, too. Of I think the Christians in the organization need to be particularly outspoken, especially if they're in a position of power within the chapter or they hold an officer position of whatnot of like, thinking through like how am i causing my brother my future brother my future sister to stumble yeah, yeah. um yeah and on that note we're going to take like a quick break because we're going to get into that of you know what is the role and responsibility of active members especially if you're a follower of jesus and hazing is happening in your chapter so we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back Yeah, I, I just say uh, so much of what you said uh, is just is true. I kind of I think it's an accurate description of the reality of a lot of chapters, you know, uh, and it, it particularly, um, you know, as we turn to look at the from an actives perspective. So you're a brother or sister in the chapter. What do you do about it? Um, just a story from, you know, my fraternity experience. You talked about uh, hazing creep, you know, that every Every pledge class that, you know, goes through the process tends to one up 
on their experience, you know, of what they experienced. And the irony, you know, the irony is, is that most of the active members look at the pledges, you know, and say, well, you didn't have it as bad as I did, or you should have seen what I went through. And so on one hand, they're like rationalizing that they got it the worst while simultaneously practically one-upping, you know, what they experienced. And, uh, in, you know, this happened in my chapter until it got to the point where there's some things starting to happen that were coming to the surface of like, this is not healthy. Uh, this is unsustainable. And this was even being acknowledged by people who weren't coming from a Christian perspective. And so, um, yeah, my exec board ended up, you know, we created a action committee that went and investigated the whole pledging process and then came back and uh, stood before the chapter to chapter meeting kind of saying, okay, here's the things that, you know, we need to do. Like a brother can't see, you know, a pledge longer than this period of time. Anything beyond this is just like unnecessary. And, you know, yada, 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 and kind of laid these out, you know, and so I, I was a, I guess I got firsthand perspective on both ends of that, of, of seeing some of the creep happening, you know, and um, experiencing that, and then also seeing, you know, the active members responding to that uh, in a way, like in a, in a healthy way, but hmm. um are there other ways in which you have seen chapters respond that way or specifically, you know, coming from, you know, as a uh, person who's following Jesus, you're an active brother and sister, you see these things happening. What do you do in those situations or, or how do you respond uh, to the culture to create a more healthy uh, environment? Yeah, so we often have the phenomenon of the silent majority kind of mm. at play in these types of situations where all it takes is one member who's willing to kind of stand up to reveal other members who maybe were uh, uncomfortable with the situation as well, you know, or are at least open-minded to, uh, to change. I think where chapter members often go wrong or uh, fall, fall short of their intended goal is they fail to think practically and they you know, fail to come up with alternatives. And actually, I would say this is something that I apply to national organizations and university or campus-based staff as well, that we tend to uh, fall into the trap of or set the trap of, well, no, you can't do that. And that's the end of the conversation. Um, yeah. Where it's really helpful is, I think, saying we can't do that, but <laughs> what could we do? Um, mm. provide all, like try to be a part of the process of coming up with alternatives that I say all of that to understand though, that, um, if chapters don't go through the hard work of coming up with legitimate alternatives, it, you will start to see a chapter default back to the old ways, mm. um, or kind of go back to those traditions because it's easy. And so chapters really need to be thoughtful about, Hey, we've just eliminated X activity. What can we do that creates a shared experience under, under our members? Mm -hmm. Because the hazing process doesn't have to be a, you know, a, you just get a stamp of approval and you're in. My chapter, or because we went through a colonization experience, like we all still looked at our experience, despite the fact that there was no hazing, as incredibly challenging because mm -hmm. we were having to create a lot of uh, new programs and we were having to do a lot of educational lead sessions lead is the the educational program for our organization uh, we were having to do all this stuff to justify getting a charter from the national organization and that in and of itself was our new member process and so we all looked back and like we had to work incredibly hard 
And then we were chartered and it's like, all right, well, how do we replicate that experience that those members can't really go through for new yeah. members? And so that was a really hard process. And, and our chapter was not great at it, to be honest. Like, uh, you know, uh, making that transition from colony to creating a new member experience that was meaningful. Um, you know, I think we often as a national organization really encourage uh, candidate retreats. So giving the candidate class an opportunity to go together um, to have deep, intentional conversations about who they are, what they believe, uh, what do they want to become. Um, those are really important conversations. Again, I think, though, you have to fight against the, the natural urge to make that a hazing experience, though. Right. When you go on the retreat, like, yeah. what are the activities? Like, how are you thinking through, like, what they're going to be doing? Are you just bringing alcohol to that to that camping trip? Or are you actually thinking through, like, hey, this would be a really constructive team builder activity. Um, we're going to have time where we're all sitting around the fire talking about deep personal conversations from our past or, you know, talking about uh, what the importance of brotherhood would be to, you know, us in the future. Like, you chapters, again, have to be really intentional about the types of activities that they're setting up and trust the process that those activities can still be just as effective um, as the hazing activities or the negative activities that you're removing from the process. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's a good word. Yeah. Go ahead, John. Yeah. I, I'd say, I mean, some of what you're talking about, this idea of, you know, redirecting the energy, you know, and the, the creativity and the energy that was going into sustaining, you know, the hazing practices, redirecting that to a more constructive end and replacing it versus just saying, don't do it, you know, or just stop doing it, you know. Uh, I, I think there's biblical wisdom to that. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about that in Ephesians of, you know, Ephesians 4, 28, it says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So it's not, in his perspective, he's saying like, it's not just about, hey, don't steal any longer. That's bad. You know, that hurts people. But actually, in order to combat stealing, let's do something else with your hands. You know, if, you know, if you're pickpocketing people with your hands, let's actually put your hands to work to something's more constructive so that you actually, and then flips it into just being this like other focused, mutually beneficial thing of something that you can actually share with those in needs, you know? So I, there's biblical wisdom to what you're talking about in the sense, you know, from, again, you started off the whole podcast saying there's immense, um, value and in a resource that your Christian faith can be in approaching situations like this because it's backed up by, you know, wisdom like this. And so um, just to, uh, you know, affirm some of that and um, some of the creativity, you know, to redirect the energy and the creativity that was going into these unhealthy practices to these healthier practices that can, like you said, what's the intention? A accomplish the same community building, the same sense of brotherhood and sisterhood that, mm -hmm. you know, we all want, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's good. And I think, you know, what I'm gleaning from what you're saying, Chris, Christopher, I just naturally shortened your name, Chris, in that moment. It's all you're good. Like, <laughs> we're good friends now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but what I was going to say is that sounds like there's definitely hope to make these changes. Like it's difficult whenever you're, you know, dealing with tradition um, and practices, but there is hope uh, to change them. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. I've stayed involved as an alumna advisor in my organization, and I've helped chapters to change traditions uh, that were hazing and, you know, accomplish those tight bonds that you talked about, but at a significant cost uh, to women. 
and have helped chapters to recognize like you can still accomplish these same goals as sister for sisterhood and the bonds that you want you know without putting people in situations that could really have drastic consequences to their mental health you know to their physical well-being um, you know, to violating their, their moral ethics. And um, that's been, I think, a joy of mine to help chapters do that, that, you know, we want chapters to succeed. We don't want to see chapters shut down because of these issues. And there is a way forward. Yeah, I think hazing is a, is a penny wise and a pound foolish. Um, I think it's something that feels right or makes sense in the moment. But I would challenge uh, most of the listeners, if you have a hazing experience in your chapter, look at your alumni engagement. How many alumni are coming back to you know, annual events or are actively in touch with your chapter? I, I would probably venture to guess that it's not that many. Um, and I think that's because hazing creates a really superficial bond, you know, mm. that it's not... Um, it's not profound connection. It's not a deep understanding of the, of the, the chapter. It's maybe a deep, it creates deep connection with those who you are immediately associated with, but you're not creating the, the intense bond with your entire chapter that you think you're creating. Um, and so by deconstructing that and allowing yourself to really think through like what are track, what are, uh, activities that are, you know, that positively contribute to our chapter experience that help, to um, build affinity, to engage our chapter, you know, across generationally, um, that's going to be a much more important um, experience for those members um, throughout the entire duration of their fraternal career or their fraternal life. Um, so I, I, you know, would throw that out there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's really good. That was the experience well, uh, I know for uh, me too, in the sense that you know, I ended up looking back and realizing that uh, some of the practices for me ended up creating more of a confederation of pledge classes than it did a fraternity, you know, mm, for even a long yeah. time after graduation, I used yep. to say my pledge brothers or my pledge brothers, you know, when I was referring to people in my pledge class that I went through a lot of those experiences with, uh, but everybody else was like a fraternity brother, which was like a secondary connection, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I think if we're shooting for the deep sense of cross pledge class, cross line uh, kind of uh, connections that, um, yeah, there's other practices that can do that better uh, yeah. than hazing. So definitely. Oh, well, I feel like there's so much we could explore and, you know, maybe we'll have to do another episode in future seasons on hazing and have Christopher back for us. But Christopher, this was excellent. Um, and, you know, we're going to put some resources about hazing in our show notes. I'll probably do a tag at the end of this episode to highlight some of those resources. But you have just been an amazing big bro to us, honorary big bro this week, uh, helping us uh, see the humanness behind hazing and, and helping, I think, our audience feel challenged and encouraged uh, as they approach it. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, man. yeah absolutely. And, and if I can do one final plug, yeah, I would also totally. say to, uh, to anyone who's listening, and if you are in a position where you just feel overwhelmed by, you know, maybe hazing that's in front of you or what you're currently experiencing. Um, I, I'm sure that Allison will be able to put uh, this in the, the show notes, but uh, there is a hazing hotline. Mm -hmm. um, so it's 1-888-NOT-HAZE or 1-888-668-4293. 
Um, I would also encourage you to reach out to your university or your fraternal uh, national organization. Most groups are going to have uh, an opportunity for you to report hazing anonymously if, if you don't want to be um, to, to, to be known. Um, you have the power to build coalitions from your organization to create change, believe in yourself, um, but also know that there are those who are out there who um, you know want to assist you. Yes. And um, I, I say this personally, I think a lot of times national organizations kind of get made out to be you know the bad guys. <laughs> it, that's somewhat of a rational fear. Like we don't want to close your chapter because it's a source of revenue. Like that's how we get money. Sure. Like, you know, to be, to be frank with you, like we want every chapter of ours to be open, but one, because we believe in the fraternal experience, but also too, like we need you to continue having the national organization operate. Um, but more importantly, like we are brothers who ultimately care about your experience and want you to have a, a, an affirming fraternity experience and for Christian fraternity men, like we want you to have one that's really edifying to your spiritual life mm. as well. Uh, and so if you do not feel like you are being fed, if you don't feel like you are um, having a fraternal experience that's reflective of your of your faith or that empowers your faith, like, you know, I think that's where, you know, John and myself are here if you're a Sigma Nu or, you know, the Greek University staff and your fraternal organizations Definitely. are there in general. Definitely. Totally, man. Cool. Well, hey, we'll be back with another episode of the Greek and Christian podcast uh, in a week. But thanks again, Christopher. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Appreciate it, man. The Greek and Christian podcast is produced by Greek InterVarsity, a nonprofit college ministry for fraternity and sorority students. Our ultimate vision is to see every fraternity and sorority connected to a community of Greek Christians so that every Greek is just one friend away from knowing and following Jesus. To learn more, find a community on campus, or partner with us, visit greek.intervarsity.org.